This holiday season, please consider supporting the Cato Institute and specifically the Cato Daily Podcast. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to get started. If you support Cato with a donation of $1,000 or more, I'll gladly give you a shout out on the podcast, or you can designate another individual to receive that benefit and all the other benefits of being a Cato sponsor. That website again is cato.org slash podcast sponsor. And thank you for your generosity. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, December 11th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. For almost two decades, the federal government has been lying about the war in Afghanistan, saying to the public that the longest military engagement in U.S. history has been going better than it has, in fact, far better. Thousands of pages of interviews unearthed by the Washington Post reveal the frustrations over this long-term and widespread failure. Cato's John Glazer comments. The Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction uh, is a a government body that is supposed to look at the Afghan war, uh, look at its shortcomings, uh, look at the aid that we're uh, engaging in, look at the uh, troop presence, and try to analyze, try to track how it's going, whether these are successful missions, uh, whether we're making progress, and so on. Um, And it turns out that although special inspector reports like this get churned out every once in a while and they have a lot of damning information in them because, you know, the numbers in Afghanistan are not very favorable. Uh, What we know, what we found out here as a result of this Washington Post report is that the Post itself went through two to three years of legal battles with the office of the special inspector general to try to get these interviews released. And what what they have now is this massive cache of, you know, thousands of pages of interviews with 400 people, everyone from ambassadors and State Department people to Defense Department people to troops on the ground to aid workers, all interviewing them about uh, progress in Afghanistan. And, you know, it's kind of remarkable how consistently damning the comments are. Uh, They talk about how uh, you know, aid is uh, helping corruption in Afghanistan. They talk about how, uh, you know, there's confusion about who we're fighting, who the enemy enemy is, uh, what, what uh, success would look like, how close we are to being able to withdraw from the country after 18 plus years of fighting there, um, while, you know, leaving behind a status quo that we're comfortable with, you know, one one that's under the uh, government that we set up in 2001 in Kabul, that it is democratic, that no terrorists are emanating from there and so on. And we're farther from that goal than we have ever been. Um, and so a lot of these interviews confirm that. And so the, the, the reason it's kind of uh, stark and surprising is because it's what CNN's Jim Shudo called a kind of Pentagon Papers moment. You know, the Pentagon Papers revealed that many government officials knew from the beginning that the war in Vietnam was a travesty, that it was going horribly, that we couldn't win, that it was a lost cause. And yet uh, they continue to fight it publicly under uh, false pretenses. Uh, And that's similar to what's going on here. We have broad acceptance that the war is uh, not being won and cannot be won and is an enormous waste and is in many ways illegitimate. And yet those same people 
are people who have said publicly for years that we're making progress in Afghanistan and we need to recommit to the fight. And so that dichotomy, that dishonesty in the face of uh, a war like this uh, is a big part of the controversy here. So I know that military officials at, at all times would like to be able to say that a war is going better than uh, it actually is, and there might be strategic reasons for doing that. Uh, does any of that come into play here? Sure. I mean, you can justify all kinds of horrible things uh, with through that line of argument. I, I remember speaking to members of uh, the military leadership, people working on behalf of the military leadership of this country saying, well, a lot of times uh, the generals have put on and, you know, have depicted a rosier picture of things in Afghanistan than the facts warranted because if they were blunt and clear about how terrible things were, it would hurt troop morale. And that's really important for them. They need to have their troops feel like those troops are fighting for something. And if those troops don't feel that way, uh, things can really go haywire on the battlefield. But to me, none of those arguments really uh, amount to anything. This is a war that's being fought that most Americans are profoundly insulated from. But, uh, you know, Action is being taken. Taxpayer dollars are being wasted. Human life is being expended over and over and over again for year after year after year when the people carrying out the war and virtually all the experts that I'm aware of acknowledge that the war cannot be won and that, uh, you know, the longer we stay uh, is not going to alter the facts on the ground, which are that the Taliban uh, control most of the territory in the country. The Kabul government that we set up is horrible, corrupt, and can't sustain itself without outside aid. Um, and, you know, the counterterrorism uh, program that we've been running there for ages uh, hasn't really worked the way it was uh, designed to work. Um, and so, you know, that's – it is a matter of – it's a betrayal of the public trust to have years and years go by, not only just saying that the war is going pretty well, but cooking the numbers. I mean, there were reports in this uh, – there were interviews in which uh, people admitted to kind of um, – uh, falsifying metrics to make it seem like things are going in a better direction than they were. Talking about the train and equip mission, which we build up the Afghan military and police in order to uh, shift security from the occupiers over to indigenous people. Uh, that's been an out-and-out -out failure. And yet, again, uh, they would try to insert metrics into the public case for the war that were dishonest. And they admit them. They admit it in these interviews that this was dishonest. So that's a real problem. I don't see any strategic justification that can uh, that can that actually warrants that kind of public dishonesty. And it, there is, I suppose, just a natural inclination for uh, people who are in charge of some sort of task or in in charge of a project like uh, the war in Afghanistan that. Essentially, any admission that things are going very badly reflects poorly on them personally. And, uh, you know, whatever assessments we want, whatever honest assessments we want to get, it's it's worth understanding that 
quite often that's just difficult to come by as it would be in any organization. Yeah, so that's certainly fair. I think people are out for their own necks, uh, first and foremost. And to admit this kind of widespread massive failure is, uh, you know, I think self-preservation dictates against coming forward. Um, the other problem, I think, is that, again, as you say, these are very large organizations that are carrying out these national security policies. We have an entire national security bureaucracy where, you know, Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are working towards policy goals that are decided by the top. They're decided at the political level. And all of these people uh, are tasked with carrying out the policy and not questioning it. And so what you also find in, in these interviews is examples of people saying, well, you know, we could offer minor tactical criticisms. Like if there were something going on in the war that wasn't going too well, that we could reform and make better, that kind of criticism was welcome. But if you had criticism that spoke to the heart of the justification for the war, uh, the strategic wisdom of it, you know, the long-term reliability of the Kabul government with whom we've partnered, those kinds of critiques weren't allowed. Those kinds of critiques were clearly kind of uh, gone by the wayside. And that's an example of kind of operational thinking. And that, I think, plagues most of the foreign policy community here in Washington, D.C. We accept the policies. We accept that, you know, we accept the premises behind, okay, we have to be in Afghanistan. How do we how do we actually uh, engage in that war better? How do we win hearts and minds better? How do we uh, get rid of corruption more effectively? Not whether those are things that we should have the responsibility of doing in Afghanistan, not whether the war is worth fighting, just how do we do it better? And uh, that's that's a real problem. And I think it leads to a lot of dishonesty and a lot of f refusal to self-evaluate and just kind of look at the first premises that are behind some of the policies that we pursue. Uh, that would allow us to get rid of the bad stuff or the stuff that isn't worth it and focus instead on things that we can actually manipulate and possibly succeed at. That sounds like it ought to inform a lot of the war making that the United States has been engaged in for the past 20 years or so. Yeah, I think in general, what this report should should remind us is not just that the war in Afghanistan uh, can't be won and that the national political and military leadership has been dishonest with the public about the war, but it should be a reminder that war in general is not something that wise people credulously accept in terms of the government justification for it. You know, there's a reason this harkens back to the Pentagon Papers. Um, one analyst uh, who works on U.S. foreign policy says that basically every uh, war that he's studied f throughout the entire decade of the 90s up until the global war on terror today, the, you know, national leaders have essentially been dishonest. So the lesson here, I think, is to that we should scrutinize very heavily official justifications for war, uh, because usually they're pretty weak. John Glazer is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You, too, can become a Cato podcast sponsor. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to make a gift today. And thank you 